0: Alright, so as Karen mentioned just before, today we're going to be looking at Romans, and I think that's the first time we've been looking at Romans this, all this year, which to get about halfway through the year and not look at Romans is uh, quite an interesting feat. I love the book of Romans. If you're going to read something and you're not sure where to go, obviously you say the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John bit of Acts that follows on from Luke. Uh, But Romans is another really great one if we're going to be looking at our current life and how we are called to live out our faith. So this morning we're looking at Romans 4. It's going to pop up on the screen there. Uh, And we're starting at verse 13 and concluding at, let's say, 25. Yep, 25. Okay, so from verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham In hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but instead... Read this, he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins, and was raised to life for our justification. All right. So I'll start off by saying, let me be honest with you. When you're starting at Romans 4 and you're looking at verse 13, rather than maybe even going back to Romans 4 verse 1, or even going further back, it is somewhat like walking into a room where an intense and involved conversation has been going on for some time. Now, do you you know what I mean? Like, I'll try and set the scene a little bit anyway. Have you ever found yourself in one of those situations? And here's where I'm setting the scene. You walk into a room and you hear a voice that's in full discussion. And all that you do know is that it sounds somewhat serious. Not angry, but instead there's this real conviction to the sound of the voice that's going on. It holds a real sense of importance to it. There's a sense of depth that's going on within the conversation. And you know, the one thing that you do know is that you have missed out on some important information. And consequently, you really have no complete idea of what is going on. You feel like you have come across an incomplete puzzle, right? And you're looking for that piece to make what you are hearing feel complete. I would say that if anyone knows me and you've been around me long enough I have a very bad tendency of maybe coming in at the end of conversations hearing that it might sound interesting and wanting to know a bit but maybe interjecting with a comment before you know what even is going on just completely making myself look like a goose Um, and so here's one of those situations where if we're not careful we can jump into assuming what's going on in this conversation if we don't Take the time to find out actually what's at play. So, if I have confused you, then good, you're coming on a journey that I often find myself in. Because that kind of explains how I even felt when I started delving into today's word and what it had for us. Because there's so much depth to these verses. And when you're looking at them, it's pulling from Old Testament scriptures. Because Romans is New Testament, right? We, we at least know that. Abraham, in the mention of him, he's Old Testament. So we're pulling from Old Testament Scripture in explaining New Testament understandings. And that all tied together with this idea of fulfillment of Scripture through promises that God has given for all of us. So now we've gone from Old Testament pulling in Abraham. We've gone to New Testament Romans, Paul explaining something, using Abraham for then and also for now. Make sense? Confused enough? And I wrote the word here, whoa. (laughs) But that's the Bible. It's so complete in its essence that we need to look at it as a big, big picture of what we, it's our instruction book of life, isn't it? So when you find yourself in one of these situations, what do you have to do? And maybe I'm preaching to myself right now. You have to stop, you have to stop for a start, but you have to ask questions to then start looking into things to unpack what is actually happening. So consequently here, a consideration of what is at play in Romans verses in what we're looking at today is super important. So let's get into it. For one, why is Paul talking about Abraham? This guy is Old Testament stuff. Why now is he, Paul, New Testament Paul, going all the way back to a promise that we find in Genesis, the first book of the Bible? What does this have to do with what Paul is dealing with in his time and context, some who knows how many years later? What does this have to do with us right now? In the beginning of Romans chapter 4, Paul raises the question whether Abraham is justified by his works under the law or by his faith. And this is somewhat of an age-old topic of discussion between many people within churches all over the place when discussing what God requires of us to actually get into heaven one day. Is it works? Is it faith? Which one is it? Is it one or the other? How do we play this out? But instead of the argument between works over faith or faith over the requirements for works, we need to understand in this Romans verse what's going on, what Paul is speaking about here specifically. It isn't one over the other at all. It is more that one informs the other and in fact that both are required. Because it is our faith that impacts the works that we are called to participate in. And without our faith and an ever-deepening understanding of who we live to serve, then any works that we do comes back to what we talked about two weeks ago, or some time ago, in being just common good. Nothing wrong with it, but where's God in this? Where's God shaping that common good? To go deeper with what Paul is talking about here, again, this isn't an argument to say that faith is all we need. As the particular works being questioned here are those concerned with the actual law of the day. Back then, we need to understand what law is being brought into the conversation. What actual law is being brought in? A man made structure for a set of people that doesn't factor in all of God's creation, including his people, which as we read through this, we saw as the world. The world. Because there are some issues here with the law, as it is mentioned for a couple of reasons. The law being discussed, the one that's being discussed here, the laws that are being discussed here were the laws of Moses. And so you might have heard this word before, the Torah. The laws of Moses' Torah. That the Jews exclusively followed when they were brought to them. So right away here, if we were looking at these laws, the laws of Moses, the Torah, what we have, when we're looking at it under new understanding in Romans, for us today as well, is that we have division creeping in. It excluded the Gentiles, but of course the Gentiles at that time simply didn't follow it. It was a Jewish thing. They didn't adhere to the laws that the Jews followed. Okay? The next issue for the Jews is they could have never properly followed the law. Even the Jewish people, if they tried their absolute darndest, they almost would have had to just, actually even if they just laid in bed all day and tried not to speak a word, they probably still would have broken one of the laws. With the sheer number of rules under the law that they needed to follow, if the promises that we're talking about in Romans were to do with these laws, it was just unachievable to perfectly follow them all the time. And we're talking about a group of people, these humans, all with flaws not dissimilar to ourselves, just because they're some 2,000 odd years later. that were trying to uphold 613 different commandments or rules or laws or guidelines to be deemed righteous before God. 613. I'm not even sure we could commit 613 things consciously to memory because I reckon that's a pretty mammoth task. So 613 rules outlined under 14 different books, if my research serves me correctly. These were rules concerning all sorts of things, and I'm just going to have a look at a couple, just just for fun, because there is one as well that helps us understand today's Scripture. So let's touch on a couple with one notable one. So the first one I'll say is laws concerning idolatry. That's a good one. It's one that we follow, I would say. Uh, We can get trapped by it, but simply put, don't worship other gods, okay? Little G gods, the ones that aren't real. Small trap in that one, though, is this can be anything that we put before God. So it's also one we have to be very mindful of. Now laws, there were laws concerning all sorts of different holidays like Shabbat and Hanukkah and how to observe them. And I'm telling you the list of just even the holidays is long. I don't know if you'd have, it's kind of like you find out each week has a different thing like Reconciliation Week, National Volunteers Week. And it seems to be there's a week for everything, um, which is great, but it's a lot to take in. But there's rules about how to observe those holidays. Lots of guidelines to each of those and how to participate and run these holidays properly. And the timing to do it is a lot. And then there's laws about tithing and giving to the poor from what is called the Book of Seeds. That's the seventh book of the 14. And that book alone totals 66 laws within it alone. And then there's the law under the second book. And that goes from laws 76 to 86 called the Book of Serving the Lord. And that deals with several laws, and for the Jewish people, it included the practice of circumcision. If you don't know what that is, look it up later. Or don't. I'll stop there, because 613 laws are going to take a long time to get through, and I'm sure at some point we want lunch, right? 613 laws, Google it, if your heart so desires. But I stop there on purpose, because it points to a problem with the idea of following law, defining being the defining factor for people to be deemed righteous and justified before God, if we're talking about the law being the law of Moses, right? One, the Gentiles did not follow these Jewish laws. We've established that. And they certainly did not follow the very physical practice of circumcision. So therefore, if this law became the defining factor in being made right with God, it holds all sorts of complications with a God-prescribed promise that includes us to this very day, right? Because God doesn't limit his love. God doesn't limit his reach to his people, and that's all people. And again, the world was mentioned in today's scripture. The promises for all the world, all of Abraham's descendants. Because this thinking is too limiting of our God, who we know through scriptures like this. And here's one that I think most people will know. For God so loved The world, there's that word again, dot, 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 goes on, so that whoever, whoever, that's the world, that's all of us, that's for all, believes in him, John 3, 16, the world, whosoever. The idea that the Gentiles could not be included in God's promise to Abraham and even people now because of law, such as the one mentioned previously, would seemingly deem God as a liar, wouldn't it? So just to look at a snippet from today's scripture in the New Testament Romans, verse 16, it says, Therefore, there's always something good coming after therefore, it's like, take, take, listen up. Listen up, I'll start it like that, listen up. The promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law. But also to those who have the faith of Abraham, he is the father of us all. He is the father of us all. So circumcision for the Jews under their law was a key process for the men within a family household to do as an example and confirmation of their faith. Gentiles had no such requirement. It is like us now as a church saying that getting baptised is the only way to receive right standing with God and to find salvation. And that's not right. It is a great tactile practical experience that shows a practice of cleansing oneself of the old in acceptance of new life in Christ. And I love that practice. I think it's a beautiful thing when you witness someone going through the process of that. But for what it holds for the individual and for those witnessing it, but it is not like a confirming or a requirement for our salvation. If it was... Anyone who has only been dedicated, for instance, or publicly accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior through like a large, I've seen many people come to know Christ at like a conference or something like that, where it's a moment of change of heart, wouldn't have done enough. Wouldn't have done enough by accepting Christ in. Now it's the same for the Gentiles who didn't follow the law of the Jewish to be circumcised. It's just that comparative type thing. Did that separate them from the promise of God through Abraham? And when we looked at John 3.16, who was it for? For all, for the world. So no. Because if it was the works under the law that was to indicate whether a person was justified or seen as righteous unto God, then that is a measuring stick that at its absolute core makes the promise of God for Abraham's descendants to inherit the world be entirely exclusive. The world which implies everyone, not just the Jewish, then doesn't stand a chance. And I'm going to attempt to even open this up even clearer now. So here we go, strap in. Going back to the argument for justification and righteousness being made right unto God, for us coming through either faith or through works, in this case where the law mentioned is exclusive to the Jews, But the promise to Abraham is for the world. This notion that through works under the law we have deemed is incorrect. Correct? Are we there in our heads? Yeah. Should we now assume that all we need is faith and belief? Yes or no? Ooh. Listen up. No. (laughs) Therefore. Short answer is no. Why? Christ came to example a new way for all. Christ came to example a new way for all, for the world. And that takes us back again to that John 3.16 that we read. But when we read the book of James regarding faith and good deeds, we see that the kind of faith that Abraham had, here's this Old Testament guy again coming up in New Testament stuff, and this faith that was reckoned as saving faith, faith that saved Abraham, was the kind of faith that motivated Abraham. It was the kind of faith that motivated his action to obey God even against all human reason. And I'll read a little bit from James, all right. James 20, James 2, starting at verse 21. It says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. If there's six words in the Bible to listen to and try and understand, that's an interesting one. I wouldn't say it's the biggest or best or anything like that. But his actions made his faith complete. The father of nations. The father of all. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. And this is referencing Genesis within this James text. Abraham believed God. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. Who wants to be called the friend of God? I can only imagine the day when my earthly life is finished and you, let's go into metaphor, pearly gates, standing at there, and they go, welcome, Barry, welcome, Lynn, welcome, Elaine, welcome, Peter, friend of God. Imagine that. Eternity starts now. Just a snapshot back to other scriptures. Eternity begins now. Be a friend of God now. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. That's the end of the James verse. It took a bit longer, didn't it? The law of old that was present for Abraham was not even the Torah. These laws under Moses, it wasn't the law that came through Moses. The 613 laws, the rules and the guidelines that were to follow. Those came after Abraham himself. So if you know any of the genealogy, we'll know that Abraham came before Moses. So it's true. It is true that Abraham lived to a certain standard passed on to him, though, that came through his ancestors and his upbringing and what he experienced and from following God's instructions over his own life. Amen. But even Abraham wasn't under these laws of Moses. Abraham was under God. That's who we're under. It's the same now, just because time has passed. We're still under God and God is constant. So here it is, with all of that that's been said. When we look at the law referenced in Romans today, the mention of Abraham draws us out of the Jewish law and into law or right standing under who alone? Under God alone. For Abraham being recognized as righteous before God, even being called a friend of God, came prior to law through Moses. And you know what? Abraham himself has a little timeline issue if we're to drill down into this, and I kind of snapshotted it. But this concept within the laws, to go on with it again, circumcision that was mentioned earlier, to do so for the Jewish people was to bring yourself into the adherence with the covenant made between God and the Jewish people. Under Jewish law, failure to follow the commandment incurred the penalty of karet, if I say that correctly, who knows, being cut off from the rest of the community of God is what that meant. But Abraham, before those laws, was deemed righteous in Genesis some two chapters before he had followed a law that existed which carried the consequence of separation from the community of God. With all this unpacking that we have done, and I know it's a lot, so I hope you've followed, we are assured that the promise that the descendants of Abraham would inherit the world was not limited to those in adherence to the law of the Jewish people alone, but instead factored in the true sense of the world. So what is to gain from this information? The promises of God that are held in Romans that we see under some sort of laws, which means we're under God alone, still apply to us today. What is to gain from this information? Firstly, we are all called. We are all included in the promises of God based on the promise provided to Abraham, which spoke to his descendants. Us. With all that we know now, it is shallow to assume that we need to be Jewish or follow those particular laws to be beneficiaries of a promise made to a Jewish man, Abraham, before those laws were even fully realized from Moses later on. Now, Abraham went about and followed the laws once they were in place, but he was made righteous unto God before that, okay? The promise is not impacted by works under the law of Moses or the Torah, but instead is understood by the new revelations of faith brought about through Jesus Christ. Faith that should be informing and impacting our works as spoken about in the book of James. Faith and belief in Jesus who came to make a way for all of Abraham's descendants, and that is who, again? Each of us. You, me, Jewish, Gentile, everyone else, the world, even people who don't know it yet. It is the example of Jesus that we're to aspire to. Full surrender. Jesus lived the life of full surrender and all in life. James 2.22 was Abraham. And it says, you see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. Abraham's faith was made complete through his faith-informed actions. So here it is, if we claim belief and know that Jesus is our Lord, and I pray that is each of us here this morning, our faith placed in him, we must ask, how is it being shown? How is our faith being made complete? How is our faith bubbling on out of us? And recalling that scripture from James again, his Abraham's actions made his faith complete. How are we showing, how are we exampling our faith to then inherit, as a descendant of Abraham, those promises that are from God directly. We are called to be active participants in the mission of God. In the big picture of God. Missio Dei. Right? Informed by our faith. Because if we were just to go off on our own merry way, what would it be? Common good. There's nothing wrong with common good. We need a lot of common good in this world. But we're faith-informed people, so there's a deeper sense to why we do that common good. Now, I'm going to anyway, but I've written, can I give you? If you say no, I'm going to do it anyway, okay? Can I give you some ways we need to be showing our faith? Yes, Yes, I heard that. Um, Because if we are in, then we are all in. If we are in, we are all in, because the example we're following is of Christ who was all in. And this is all biblical, so I'm not making stuff up here, right? We will be praying and building that intimate connection with God. We'll be reading the Word of God. We'll be picking it up and opening our Bibles or unlocking our phone and looking at the Bible app, whatever it is for you, and informing ourselves of His will for our lives quite regularly. I don't want to say daily. Sometimes things get, they shouldn't. But regularly, very regularly. We will also be looking for opportunities to support the work that is going on that looks to extend the kingdom of God in our context. Whether it be inviting someone to church. Actually, there's recent survey material that says there's over 50% of people that are open to some sort of a spiritual experience. And a lot of them just simply haven't been asked or approached about it. So maybe there's some opportunities we're missing there or maybe there's some other works we can get ourselves involved in building wholesome community and we will be giving we will be generously and sacrificially giving financially back to the lord and this is the thing because i think we wrap our giving of time and our giving of our treasures and the giving of our talents as simply just giving to the church wrapping it up into a in a sense a man-made structure something that we govern But we need to shift that thinking and instead understand that we're not giving back just to a body or an organisation or a charity or, if you want to say, just the church. But we're giving back to God who provides for us because it all comes back to him. So are we all in? Are we all in? Have we become scared of any of these practices? Do we still believe that our God even provides for us in a side of the world where, yes, struggles are very real? but we do have plenty. They're all questions we need to consider. So question for yourself and ask, what am I committed to? What am I committed to? And I'll be honest, for one, our finances are probably the single biggest indicator of where we place importance. This isn't a money preach. But it's true that our finances are probably the single biggest indicator of where we place importance. And I know that some of my budget, personally, for me, goes to coffee each week. It just does. Because I'm committed to drinking it. I place value in what it brings to my life, as stupid as all of that sounds. I place value in it as misplaced as that might be. But do you get the point? Something that you see as vital in your life, you will put resources into. Where we place importance there also is our heart and our responses And I haven't had one this morning. How dare. If we aren't making room in our finances even to give to God appropriately, if we aren't making time in our days for prayer and reading scripture, what are we committed to? What instead is our hope placed in? Is our go-to God or is our go-to something else? There's a healthy balance to all this, faith, expression of faith. There is general living to be taken into consideration. And that's why we are even only called biblically to 10% in a sense. So if we even just look at that side of things, it's not like God is being unreasonable and saying, give me 70%. Like that, that wouldn't have, there wouldn't be a sense of being able to live in that sense. He knows that. But it's a sense of that full surrender, that all in idea. So even in that space, he's calling for 10%. God knows we need to understand surrender. That's the point of all of this. We need to understand surrender. But he knows we also have to live. But God can't be sidelined in this. In fact, he needs to be held in the most prominent position over our lives. He should remain present in absolutely everything that we do. Bring it to prayer. Bring God into the story. Verse 18 from today in Romans against all hope Abraham in hope so even against hope Abraham in ho- Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him so shall so shall your offspring be our God is still and always will be the God of hope do we believe it do we believe in the hope that God offers over our whole lives Abraham, against all hope, still believed through the hope he had and the promise of God to bless him was then made real. If we don't put our hope in God through any situation, good or bad, hopeful or hopeless, then we remove ourselves from the promise promised to Abraham. Remember the hope in the hopelessness for Abraham. He was called to sacrifice his son unto God, a son that with his wife, was barren, Sarah. She couldn't have children and was blessed by God. And then that, that child that they were blessed with was called to be taken away completely, but he still had hope to put God first amongst all things. That Abraham's descendants, those who believe and have faith in God, full surrender, all in, but also let that impact their lives through their works, are made right before God. This might sound like a weird way to finish. I'll finish with this that I came across in preparation for today. In the movie Indiana Jones, you didn't think I was going to talk movies, did you? Ah, The Last Crusade. I have it written because I wouldn't remember because you know there's new ones coming out. There's new Indies coming out. Yeah, weird. Um, Harrison Ford might look pretty old. Indiana has the opportunity to come into the presence of the Holy Grail trying to gain eternal immortal, eternal life, immortality. Supposedly the cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper. The promise of the Holy Grail has already been given. The message of what it provides is already understood to all of these treasure hunters. The steps are laid out, but there are obstacles to overcome. The biggest of these obstacles requires Indy to take a step of faith, because in front of him, Or between him and the room, holding the holy grail, is this deep, are you picturing it? Have you watched it before? There is this deep, dark, wide void. It's like he's on one edge of a cliff. Darkness. And there's the doorway over there on the other side of the cliff. What on earth am I going to do? It was a massive drop. As far as we're aware, it's just pitch black. Could have been three feet. You can't see the bottom and you could not jump across this gap, however hard you tried. This obstacle calls for Indy to step out into the emptiness with no evidence of that which will uphold him. It is only through believing in having a faith upon which he will step out that he will receive the promise. Does that sound familiar? Faith is a step of, it's a step. It's a step of faith. promises are already laid out they're there what's in between us and them what's in between us and them step step of faith are we ready to receive the promise that prom- god promised to us i would hope so so let your faith inform the steps you take into what christ has ready for you today Because even when we don't think we have much to offer, that our capacity is diminished, and we read that in today's scripture as well. Abraham, 100 years old. Sarah was unable to have children. How am I going to do this? What am I going to do? God provides a way. God has all the power to work through our faith that is only placed in him. We're gonna listen to a song in the moment. It's called Greater Things. Whilst we're reading through the words as the song plays through, it's really just a recommitment for us today. A recommitment to placing our faith at a level that says to that brings God alongside us, right? And says, Lord when, and I hope it's soon, if we bring Christ alongside us, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, when I'm ready to take that step. And I would hope that that step, whatever it looks like for each of us, that we know that we have our Lord alongside of us and we can, in hope in him, there are greater things promised for us. There are greater things ahead. There are more people that will come to know Christ like we do, that we will find the confidence and the clarity of self, of Christ within our lives, that we'll be able to take that step, each and every one of us.